Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. We're, we're just going to turn straight to the Word. Thanks, brother. I'm thankful for being for service. I'm thankful for Sunday morning service. The best place to start your week is right here. So many times it can feel like Sunday's the end of the week, right? And Monday morning, that's the start of the week. And it's kind of can be a shift of focus, if you will. And just kind of remember, Sunday's the beginning of the week. This is the beginning. This is, this is how I'm, this is the precedent I'm setting for the rest of my week. I'm coming to God's house first. This is how I'm going to start this week. And uh, today, I believe God's put a word on my heart, and I just want to share it with you this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2 tells the story of a man by the name of Simeon. You've maybe heard of Simeon before. I know growing up, we would read the, the birth story of, of Jesus before we would start opening gifts. It was kind of a family tradition, if you will, but we, we weren't even allowed to look at the gifts before we read Luke chapter 2. And uh, we, we'd get to about verse 20, and we'd stop, right? Like, that was where it kind of, like, the birth story ended and all the fun parts of Jesus' story had ended. So verse 25, where it started talking about a man by the name of Simeon, I never really got there all that often. Now, in my personal reading, I made it there, but Sunday, Christmas morning, I was more interested in all that shiny wrapping paper for some reason. But it says, now, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem man whose name was Simeon. We'll go with this version. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And behold, oh, sorry, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. We're going to stop right there. Simeon had been waiting all those years. He was an older gentleman, and he knew that the Messiah was coming. Everyone kind of understood that the Messiah was going to be here eventually. But a lot of them had kind of, you know, 400 years of silence, no prophets, no real speak of God, uh, no real speak of a a forecoming Messiah, had kind of dwindled the hope of most. But Simeon understood the Messiah is coming. Salvation is on its way. But in that cold period of 400 years, I'm sure it seemed like a distant thought. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments on this thought. More than a season. More than a season. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word, God, to to open up what you have for us. And I pray that every heart, every mind would be open to what you want to speak into lives today. God, we thank you for your hope that's found in you, Emmanuel. God, you are the Savior, the Savior of our lives. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. A phrase coined and written by none other than the great theologian. No, 
literary mind, C.S. Lewis. Try to imagine with me for a quick moment, always winter, but never Christmas. Of course, at this point in this season, I'm sure some of you that have spent a bunch of money or are still looking at spending a bunch of money, you're probably thinking, wow, that would just be absolutely wonderful if it could always be winter and never be Christmas, right? And you're like, yes, that preach it, brother. Come on. Can we really make that happen? But really imagine for just a moment what that would truly be like. I mean, winter's awful at times, right? I mean, the sun goes down at like 2 o'clock, no, like 4.30, and it's dark outside. It's miserable. Like, you get home, you leave, and it's dark outside. You come home, it's dark outside. Like, 7 o'clock feels like midnight. It's just, it's, it's hard, right? So, here's the thing. Growing up in Canada, I, I remember being asked, do you like winter? Do you like winter? And as a child, I remember enthusiastically responding, yes, I love winter. I mean, there's snow days, days where you thought you were going to have to go to school, but because of this stuff called snow, this white powder falling from the sky, this heavenly manna, if you will, because of that, I do not have to go to school. Thank you, Jesus. I remember, you know, sledding down hills, um, which you like, what, what, I call a toboggan, it's a, it's a sled, but I know down here toboggans are like hats, right? And that's weird to me, but I'm getting my mind around that. So we would, we would sled down, and we'd find the biggest hills, and it's not quite like Louisiana where there's no hills, right? But we would find these huge hills, we'd go crazy. There was an ice rink down the street from our house, and I remember p- taking my hockey stick and putting my skates onto my stick and walking down the street with a thermos full of hot chocolate and going and skating on a rink that somebody in the community had built. I mean, winter was amazing. But as I grew up, my mindset started to shift because all of a sudden I had to drive in that white powdery manna, if you will. And all of a sudden, I realize it's not quite as fun when your work doesn't get canceled like school gets canceled. And you still had to be there on time, and if you weren't, you were going to have to answer to somebody in authority. But now, when people find out down here that I'm Canadian, and I grew up in Canada, and people ask me that exact same question that I was asked as a young person, so, do you like winter? It is pretty much, without a doubt, the same answer. If I never see another drop of snow again in my life, God has blessed my soul. I'm telling you, I, I know, I know, I, I'm practically the Grinch. You can see the fur and the green transformation taking place as we speak. But I'm telling you, I, I'm like, I'm, I've had enough. 27 years was great, and now these five years of the South have been God's gift to Brendan. Thank you, Jesus. The other day I came across a list of, of, of ways you grew up in Canada, but you, but you now live in the South. 25 ways you knew you lived in Canada, but now live in the South. And I wanted to, I, here's just a few of the good ones. You wear warm clothing to sports games, only to realize you're no longer at a rink, but an overheated baseball stadium. The word washroom, which most of you would point me to your laundry room, and I think of as a bathroom, the word washroom is no longer in your vernacular. 
I have been pointed to many laundry rooms since I've been down here. You're constantly mocked for pronouncing house, about, out, and sorry. It's assumed that you know how to speak French, only to realize after bonjour, you're lost. And then finally, you're confused when the four seasons are not almost winter, winter, still winter, and road work. And that's the truth right there. I remember seeing snow literally as late as April 19th, y'all. It is just, yeah, it gets tiring. Now, I may know a thing or two about long winters, but here's the wonderful part. They eventually do end. The flowers reappear. The sun comes out. The snowblowers go into storage. But in the land of Narnia, the land that C.S. Lewis was writing about where he said, always winter and never Christmas, in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it, this land had seen winter for over 100 years and never Christmas. And as one of, the, one of the young characters in the book exclaimed, how awful. How awful indeed. See, winter can be a tough enough season to make it through under normal circumstances. And why do you suppose? I mean, I threw out a couple of ideas. What is it that makes it quite so depressing for some? And I don't use that term lightly. For many people, this is a time of the year when depression is a very real experience. It can be a mild case of the winter blues. It can be a full-blown seasonal affective disorder. Perhaps it's the ongoing struggle over the loss of someone dear. Winter can be very tough. And it's not just cold. It can be bleak. It can be dark. And it can be barren. And see, that's why it's such a perfect image for Lewis to use in this first Narnia book. It's not just the physical reality. It's a metaphor for the dark and sinister force that held this land that I want to speak about for just a moment firmly in its grip. Narnia was once a lush and beautiful land, but evil had reared its ugly head in the character of the White Witch. And I've got a picture, this book. I read it when I was like in second or third grade. It's phenomenal. If you haven't read The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, do yourself a favor. It's amazing. But in this book... You have this beautiful land that is now in control, firm control of this white witch. Her reign of terror keeps the land in eternal winter. And here's the truth. C.S. Lewis knew a thing or two about the reign of terror. After fighting in World War I, it's also easy to forget that the Chronicles of Narnia was not written until after World War II. In the lingering shadows of Nazi tyranny and oppression, And living in Europe, C.S. Lewis saw all of that firsthand. And there are echoes of that experience in the reign of the white rich, where secret police whisk away suspected, suspected traitors who are never seen again, where fear and intimidation keeps those who hope for freedom underground. Always winter, but never Christmas. Until finally you meet these four children, and they stumble into this land accidentally but find themselves led there by design. Because even in the midst of this terrible, long winter, there remains the faint whisper of an age-old prophecy, one that involves those four children, but more importantly, it centers around someone else, someone by the name of Aslan. And I've got a picture of Aslan. He is 
There he is right there. The children learn about this mysterious figure from, of all things, a pair of beavers who tell them of an ancient rhyme. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Even in the darkest times in Narnia, there's hope. Hope that one day the white witch would be gone and her endless winter be gone with her. Because of one reason, and that is Aslan is coming. Or as the book would say, Aslan is on the move. And one of the beavers, they, they say this phrase that is just, it's so cool. They say, oh, that I would live to see the day. Oh, that I would live to see the day. Here they are, stuck in a world where they've probably been born into this darkness, born into this winter, but never Christmas scenario. Words, these words, oh, that I would live to see the day, have no doubt echoed in similar situations throughout the ages. You can hear it in the hearts of those who long for an end to the winter of South African apartheid. In the cries of those who suffered in the darkness throughout Syria and other war-torn areas. But maybe even louder than some of those cries are the hearts crying in this place today. Oh, that I would see the day, God, that your hope would come back in my world. Oh, that I would see the day that your promises would actually be revealed. Oh, that I would see the day where I could experience that peace that gets preached about. Oh, that I could see the day of that healing. But see, we're not the first to cry out that cry. We're not the first people to say, oh, that I would see the day. In fact, 2,000 years ago, in the tender and awestruck words of an elderly man standing in a Jewish temple, we see these same words cried out. It's a beautiful story found in the Gospel of Luke, and it takes place shortly after the birth of Jesus. And his parents present him at the temple and offer a sacrifice to God. And let's just listen to these words. I'm going to read a little bit further in Luke now. Now, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child in his arms Praise God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace. As you promised me, I have seen the Savior that you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. See, Joseph and Mary, they, they were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by men in Israel. And he will be their undoing, but he will be the greatest joy to many others. Thus, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon was a man after God's own heart. The Bible states that, and as Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, paraphrases, he was a good man, a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. Simeon lived in prayerful expectancy. He knew two things. One, there was 
something fundamentally wrong in the world, and two, God was going to do something about it. So many times we can find ourselves in that same place that Simeon found himself. Maybe we aren't looking at the world as a whole, but we're looking at our world and going, God, there's something fundamentally wrong here. Your word talks about peace. Your word talks about healing. Your word talks about hope. Your word talks about deliverance. Your word talks about freedom. Your word talks. And we can look at that and go, there's something fundamentally wrong here. But number two, I love that Simeon stood in that understanding that not only is there something wrong here, but I believe God will do something about it. He didn't stand there and say, I'm just going to let the world be as it is and not expect it. No, no, no. He stood there and understood, okay, God hasn't moved yet. But that doesn't mean God's not going to move. Simeon held his heart in the promises of God. Those hopeful whispers from the age-old prophecies like we heard from Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground will be made level. The rugged places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. I want you to know right now that God's glory is going to be revealed in your life. You might not understand how it's going to be revealed. You might not understand why I have to go through what I go through, why I have to face what I face. But lately, we've been talking about faith. And you know what? There's a reason why your faith is where it's at. But God wants to grow that faith so that his glory can be seen through your life. Some in Simeon's time might have said, Oh, that I would live to see the day. But they didn't expect to. So they weren't looking. But Simeon was a little different. He had on his best authority, God's authority, that he would, in fact, live to see the day. He knew that the long, dark winter of humankind was about to meet its death. And when C.S. Lewis writes about it being always winter but never Christmas, you've got to understand he's not just describing the reign of some white witch in some fantasy land. He's echoing the tyranny of of not only Nazi Germany, what he was writing in his time, but he's describing the human experience. See, until the birth of Jesus Christ, sin kept humanity tightly in its grip. The people of Israel experienced all sorts of oppression at the hands of other nations. And in the time of Simeon, I mean, they're under the thumb of the Roman rule. But none of that compared to, de- to the dominating cruelty of sin and the pain of separation that humankind was experiencing away from God. See, that was God's intent in coming to earth, y'all. Not to end political or cultural, cultural tyranny, but as Paul writes, he came with one intention. And that intention was to set you and I free. It wasn't so that we could decorate some trees. I know. It wasn't so that we could get our our houses made up real nice and, and put out that beautiful wreath on your front door. He didn't come with the intention that you and I would be able to give gifts. And I love Christmas, y'all. I know I sounded like a Grinch at the beginning, but I do love Christmas. But he came with a bigger intention than just for us to get together and celebrate one day. He came because he knew there was a sin issue that had humanity firm in its grip. 
And he said, that sin is not going to hold them any longer. I'm coming with a bigger purpose. Not, so, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. I'm coming to save a world that's lost in sin. These aren't popular words at Christmas time, but the the very reason for that birth in a stable. And the harsh realities of our world don't take a break during this time of the year. Some of you know that. And if, if you don't understand that, you only need to turn on the news for less than two minutes and understand the world doesn't stop spinning just because it's Christmas time, right? But even on a personal level, we struggle daily against the tide of selfish impulses, the temptation to give in to loneliness or hopelessness and fear. And at Christmas, our God says, you don't have to live like that anymore. That's what makes Christmas such a joyful time. Not the presents, not those amazing decorations that all of you have. It's not even the awesome family that you get to spend your time with, as wonderful as all of those are. But take all of those away, and there's still an even greater reason to rejoice today. There's an even greater reason. It's more than just a season of giving. It's more than that. It's a reason to live, and that is because Jesus, our God, came down, looked down on us, and said, I'm not going to leave them in their mess any longer. I see what you're dealing with. I know how difficult it is, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to leave you captive to that evil that wants to destroy you any longer. And you know what's so cool? I I mean, this is just me thinking because we serve an infinite God. He probably very easily could have just done this, right? He could have just snapped his fingers and all of a sudden things could have been a little bit different. But instead, our God came in flesh Our God came as a child. He experienced everything that we've experienced. He experienced those awkward stages of preteenhood. He experienced all the weirdness of growing up and dealing with all the puberty and all that weird stuff that goes with that. He grew up and became an adult and had to work and went through all those struggles, the frustrations of dealing with customers, frustrations of dealing with somebody in authority over him. He came. He could have have made it a lot easier on himself. But instead, he came, robed himself in flesh, and lived as you and I lived, was tempted in every such manner as we are, but he was the sinless lamb. It's a promise we learn from the Christmas story for all people, and that's why Simeon breaks out and prays to God, God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace as you promised. With my own eyes, I've seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see. But Simeon's response to the baby Jesus also contains some incredibly difficult words. Just as he's praising God, he looks to Jesus' mother, Mary, and says this, A sword shall pierce your very soul. Kind of weird words to hear, right? Like, you came to the temple. This isn't what I really wanted to hear, Simeon. Like, you're, you know, I, I respect you. You're a great man, godly man. But you're going to tell me a, pierce, a, a sword is going to pierce my very soul? And Simeon tells of a promise of hope, but also a promise of suffering. Because the freedom God offers us came at a price. A price that did pierce Mary's soul, but more so it pierced the very flesh of God. And amazingly enough, in the midst of a wonderful children's story that I was talking about earlier, 
C.S. Lewis does not shy away from this difficult reality. In Narnia, Aslan's coming signals the end of winter, but only after he willingly offers his life as a sacrifice on behalf of others. You might have heard how some movie critics actually called Narnia, or Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, the passion of the lion, which it's a legitimate comparison because the death of Aslan is a direct parallel to the death of Jesus. Aslan, he gives himself over to the white witch in the story who thinks that by killing him, she guarantees her wintry reign will last forever and have no end. But for Aslan, death is not the end. And when he comes back from the dead, Lewis pens this wonderful explanation. Though the witch knew the deep magic, there is no magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned. She would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, death itself would start working backward. Now think about that for a moment. Where in a world today, where in our world today do we most often see death working backwards? Well, it's spring. When the harsh cold melts into the sun's warmth and barren grip of winter gives away to new life, in a, in a way, it helps add some meaning to the times of year we celebrate Christmas and Easter. Christmas, Jesus comes to a world that's cold and bleak, just as he comes to us in our darkest, most difficult times and points to God's eternal promises of love, forgiveness, and comfort. And then Easter, Jesus gives his life for you and I. And in doing so, what does he do? He breaks the power of sin. He breaks the power of sin and brings new life, just as he offers new life to each of us who would put our faith, our hope, our trust, our life in him. And in Psalms 147, it's paraphrased again in the message, he breathes on winter and suddenly it's spring. And so the question comes to each of us this morning, what is the winter that seems endless in your life today? Is it the winter of a particular sin that has a grip on you and won't let go? Is it the winter of loneliness or anger or misplaced priorities? Maybe it's the winter of unbelief. You feel you can't accept or, or understand what the Christian faith is actually all about. If If we really served a good God, is this how he would act? What's the winter? Whatever you're struggling with, I would invite you this morning to not only take one step, but to take two steps. If we could all stand this morning. First, I would ask you, take a step into a stable and see the promises of God made real. The word of God made flesh. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. See, the story by C.S. Lewis, that's fiction, y'all. I know. I know I'm breaking hearts, but 
It's fiction. But the story of Jesus Christ right in the Bible. That story of a young woman and a young man leading a donkey into Bethlehem, finding no place in an inn. That's not just an urban legend. That's not just a good, old, good story to tell your kids as they're going to sleep. This is truth. This really happened. And our God was born in a stable. And in that stable, like I said, there's the promises of God made real. The word of God made flesh. He did dwell among us. He saw us and said, you know what? I'm coming, man. He knew what I would struggle with. He knows where you are. He knows the struggle you're facing. And he said, I'm coming. You can't stop me. For one who tends his flock like a shepherd gathers lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And God longs to carry you close to his heart. But here's our, here's our God. He, he's, he doesn't push himself on anybody. He's a gentleman. And so it, it's your decision. Am I going to allow him to carry me close to his heart? The words of one hymn written by Christina Rossetti in the late 1800s, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. For if I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give? I give my heart. And so this morning, that's my first question. Will, will you take that first step this morning? Will you, will you say, God, I've tried on my own. I've done it on my own. Seen what I could do on my own. I can't do it on my own. And I'm telling you, this is the coolest part about God. Seek him. He'll run to you. You take one step towards God, he's going to take ton, ten towards you. And as you take steps this morning towards this altar, I'm telling you, you're going to meet a God here who loves you, wants to pour his spirit out on you, wants to embrace you, looks at every struggle and says, it doesn't matter, I've died for that. Will you take that step this morning? And secondly, because more important than the step into a stable is a step towards the cross. Where a willing victim who committed no treachery was killed in our place. Died for our sins. Yours and mine. As the Apostle Paul told the church in Rome, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And by his death and resurrection, something amazing happened. All of a sudden, we had a hope that we never had before. All of a sudden, we had life like we never had before. All of a sudden, in the Holy of Holies, that, that veil was torn. And you and I had an opportunity to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So this morning, I'm asking you if you would move out of your seats move towards this altar with that understanding that God came robed in flesh, number one, but number two, he died for me. There's hope for me. There's hope for my struggle. There's hope for my questions. There's hope for what's going on inside of my life. God wants to meet you here if you would move even now. Jesus name. Thank you for joining us today. 
We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.